Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 10, Asylum. Let's get this show on the road. So, Drew, have you recovered from our very emotional episode last week? That was a tough one. There was just so much. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Are you yeah. ready for more? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, like, I feel like you kind of led me into this next batch of episodes being like, oh, they're like not huge ones. We can kind of like watch them kind of in quick succession and kind of like get through a bunch real quick before we get the meat and potatoes again. And then this episode was just so good right this week so the really cool thing is that this week's episode is a lot less emotionally taxing so it should it should be easier for us to get through this uh this recording yeah you would think the episode or one of the brothers pulls a gun on the other one would be more emotionally taxing (laughs) but no it's surprisingly uh chill surprisingly would you like to get us started with our weekly recap yes okay let's see count me when you're ready okay so two minutes two minutes Ooh, i like this all right three two one Boys trying to figure out what to do next. Mysterious text from an unknown number. They assume it's John because it's just random coordinates. And it's a town where there's an asylum that is mentioned in his journal, which has some weird discrepancies and continuity errors we'll get to later. Uh, The boys go. It's an asylum. We learn about this asylum in a flashback, which I think actually happened before this scene. I'm realizing now maybe going out of order, but we're going to deal with that now. (laughs) Um... Some kids break in because, of course, dumb kids break into a dumb asylum because they're dumb and they do things when they're dumb. Uh, the cops show up and get the kids out. But something spooky happens to the other cop who ends up going home and murder-suicide. Great way to start an episode. Anyways, boys in town want to learn more about the asylum, are doing their research. Uh, Sam ends up at a psychiatrist's office of all places to get more information. This can backfire at all. Nope, nothing <laughs> nothing to dig up here and talk to a specialist about. Whatever, he spends his time there, clearly. They get more information, learn that there was a riot at the asylum and a lot of people died. And all of the worst cases were in the South Wing where the haunting seems to be its worst. So they decide to go and check it out, but unfortunately bump into another couple of kids who have also decided to sneak in here. One dweeby little shit who I can't stand, and one badass chick who needs her own show. Um... Eventually, they end up finding the source of this actually wasn't the spirits they thought it was. It was the spirit of the doctor who was torturing them, and the other spirits were just looking to get rid of it, which is another story we have to get into in a second. But ultimately, they find the bones, they burn the bones, salt the bones, and actually, for once, it does work. We finally have this working, and we have a very lovely interaction between Sam and Dean while Sam is being kind of possessed, and that's the end of the episode. Except for the mysterious phone call at the end. <gasps> oh, wow. That's four seconds left, Drew. Oh, damn. You're cutting it close. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, there you go. I, I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> Google's yelling at me. You were on fire, honestly. You managed Whew. to really hit all of the, all of the important points. Um, Thank you. The one thing that I just want to emphasize, and that's only one thing today in the go long ahead. game. It's the first time that we see one brother draw a gun on the other. Um, and that's 
I'm sorry, first? <laughs> yes, first. Are you implying that this is going to happen again within the next 14 and a half seasons we have to watch? Well, if I were, if I had said the only time, it would be a different story. But I said the mm-hmm. first time. Uh, and so we have the beginning of this, like, Cain and Abel parallel that continues throughout the story. I feel like that's one of those uh, biblical stories I don't know all too well, minus the fact that it is two brothers and there is murder involved. So when we get more into that, you'll have to teach me a little bit because despite my random knowledge of religious backgrounds, Christianity is not really among them. Let's move into story time. So if we start at the beginning of the episode, uh, the boys are still looking for John, who's really doing everything that he can in order to ignore them. And he's dodging their calls. Uh, But they do get a text from him that's pointing them to a job. And Sam's pretty upset that John is dodging them. And Dean, well, he's doing what Dean does best, and he's repressing his anger for his dad. And instead, he seems relieved to know that he's alive, even though he was rejecting that possibility just a few seconds ago, like before getting the text. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. John's behavior clearly has an impact on the brother's relationship. And I was wondering if maybe we could talk about what impact that is. I mean, it's very evident, as we've discussed on previous episodes, there really seems to be this level of Dean sees him in a godlike sense. He is yeah. an infallible figure. I mean, I, I, and I later in this episode, which we'll get to again, Sam, while being possessed, uses the term dad's good little soldier, I believe is the exact terminology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he really is. Like, Dean is being sent on a, you know, he said it, like, dad is sending us on a job. It's what what do, you, what do you mean he's sending us on a job? We're out here looking for him. We're not his employees. Yeah. And then Sam, who has had such a torrid past with him and has never really had a chance to fix a relationship and, as you've alluded to, is much worse than I know of, mm-hmm. you know, is out here helping his brother find their father for the sheer sake of it's family, I guess I have to. So to have these two people who ultimately have the same goal but view it in such different ways yeah it's gonna weigh on you i love the visual of the weight like this weighing on their shoulders because Mm -hmm. um you're right i mean they're they're on the same path of looking for their dad and yet their their reasons for for finding him are so different and the way that they want to go about it is so different and like and i find that 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 really speaks to their relationship actually like, they're always side by side. Uh, they always have a very similar goal or the same goal. But often you'll see that they want to go about it in very different ways. And I think that that's a really good piece of foreshadowing. And I'm so happy that you picked up on that. So thanks for, for sharing. I'm glad I could. The other thing, too, I just love is that neither one is technically right or wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we can all sort of side with one of them every time something of this comes up. Like, I kind of agree with Sam more this time. Mm-hmm. Like, if if it, again, I'm going to choose to believe the text was from John just because of the context clues we get throughout yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. But it really does come down to every situation being a bit different. Sometimes, and I'm hard-pressed this very second to pick a Dean moment where I sided with Dean over Sam, mm-hmm. which is a bit embarrassing in my example. <laughs> but generally, <laughs> I've never looked at the two of them and their differing opinions and gone, oh, no, no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I've usually gone with the, okay, I prefer your outlook. yeah. I mean, the reality is that they were both raised by him. And so, like, their experiences are similar enough that they're able to find empathy for one another, even mm-hmm. though, like, they disagree. And you see that very clearly in this episode, right? Like, the way that Dean... 
actually it's more Sam that is able to to understand why Dean is following his orders, right? Mm-hmm. I'm actually speaking of that. You know, we talked a little bit about faith uh, in a previous episode. Yeah. And so given like what happens, you know, especially that moment where, like you said, Dean goes, oh, he gave us an order. We have to do this. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering when does faith become obedience, especially for Dean and for Sam? Like, where does lack of faith become rebellion? Ooh, that is very interesting, actually. Because, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, obviously he has faith in his father, but, like, at some point you have to draw the line. There's, And I guess we kind of saw that, too. I mean, think back to how obedient Dean was being during Bugs, for example. Yeah. And then when push comes to shove, he tells uh, the kid yeah. to lie because he knows it's the better way around things. It's exactly. screw following the rules, lie. Mm. He's... He's obedient, but not to a fault, I mm-hmm. guess. Like, even he can, against his better judgment, or against the judgment he thinks is better, disagree. Mm-hmm. And then Sam, for all we as much as we've seen, still believes in his father, still believes in Dean. Yeah. Even if he doesn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I think I pointed out last time, or a few episodes ago also, is just this, he wants to find his father... Mm-hmm. not for the same reasons Dean does, but he still ultimately yeah. wants to fight. Yeah, and, you know, I think that this question will be able to answer it better in a few episodes, but I really, I wanted to introduce it because I I wonder, like, where's the boundary? Where's that line in the sand between, well, faith and obedience and lack of faith and rebellion? So let's keep that mm-hmm. in mind as we sort of go into the next few episodes. So before we move on to my next point, which is going to take a little while to make, um, I was wondering if there was anything that you wanted to discuss. I think this fits better to story time than critical time, so I'm going to tackle it here. And I think it is the story being told by the asylum itself. Okay. I just think it's such an interesting take on a monster of the week that we have mm-hmm. haven't really had in the show so far. The monster of the week has always sort of been a... And even here, it really is. It's it's a creature. In this case, mm-hmm. the uh, the doctor, the uh, scientist, uh, doctor was the term to use there. I don't know why I yeah. switched. The psychiatrist, evil science I think. experiments. Evil science experiments, I guess, kind of. Yeah. Scientist. Uh, but the psychiatrist, yes, Ellicott. But really, the story of this episode is we're actually like learning about this location, what happened there, the people there. We're seeing multiple spirits who are clearly not being dealt with because mm-hmm. they're not a problem. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we've really seen an innocent spirit, I guess. Mm. Apart from Mary. True, apart from Mary, true. So this is, this is actually yeah, right on the tails of Mary, actually, even better. <laughs> yeah, that's we've, true. We, we're in just the ultimate good spirit, their own mother. Mm-hmm. And now here we are meeting other spirits who just want to, I almost want to say, like, rest in peace, even though they're still walking this earth, this mortal coil haunting an asylum. Mm-hmm. They would rather see the asylum saved from the spirit that tormented them so they can haunt in peace. It's such a weird environment, but I just find it so alluring and so interesting as a story development. Oh, goodness. And it really opens up the doors to creatures and things not necessarily always being the villain. Oh, yes. Okay, so this is definitely a theme that's going to be discussed in future episodes. Maybe not right, right away, but definitely 
will be discussed about, you know, that those creatures aren't always pure evil, unlike what we've seen. And we're starting to see it with Mary, who for all intents and purposes is basically a woman in white, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, literally and figuratively, yes. Exactly. Um, and we're seeing it today and we'll see it again and again and again. Um, I particularly like that you started to turn your attention towards the asylum because that's exactly where I'm going next. Oh. Yes. So Inadvertent segues. <laughs> so, you know, when, they're, when, when they realize that the South Wing is barricaded or like chained up, Dean mm-hmm. says, uh, you know, to keep people out or to keep something in. And that grabbed my attention. Because we know that Dean is the king of repression. Uh, yep. But, yep. But we learn that Sam has also been repressing some feelings, right? Um, we find out about that a little bit in the psychiatrist's office. Um, so we see, we also see this theme of repression in the way that the rioting patients hid the body of Dr. Ellicott. You know, they hid the source of their trauma deep into a cabinet in a hidden room, in a basement. Okay, so keeping that in mind, this episode is basically a bunch of ghosts asking for help from Sam and Dean. They want to be, like, released from the pain that's been caused by a man in a position of authority over them. Now, if you layer that with the theme of repression, (laughs) your face is excellent right now. If you layer that with the theme of repression... It's not that big a leap to say that this episode is an actually an allegory for Sam and Dean repressing bad memories of their father and that these memories are resurfacing and needing to be released. Yeah, and I mean even just having the 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 monster of the week in this case, Ellicott himself being a, a psychiatrist dealing with the brain and in his actual acts as a spirit are basically forcing Sam to go to the extremes of what Mm -hmm. he is repressing. Exactly. And it's really funny because I always found it weird that like Sam would go to the, the, like Dr. Ellicott's son, who is also a psychiatrist. So even Dr. Ellicott, like evil is represented as a father, Mm -hmm. which I, I thought was always weird. And, and you can actually go deeper in this interpretation if you would like to. Would you like to dive oh, deeper? Please. Yeah? Yes. All right. When the boys are split up with the two different characters, the one you don't like and the one that you really like, <laughs> <laughs> usually when that happens, you have to pay attention to like who is paired up with who. Um, because then the character of the week sort of becomes like a mirror for whatever brother they're with. So... Cat here is a mirror for Dean, and Gavin is a mirror for Sam. And Cat's the one who gets stuck in the room alone with the ghost, and she has to confront her fear by acknowledging the ghost, looking at it and listening to it, right? Um, Sam even says the words, you have to face it. Yeah. And later, Dean is the one who has to confront his own fear. You know, he has to face his fear and hear Sam tell him some really hurtful truths and even pull a gun on him, and pull the trigger twice. Um, Pretty sure it's three times, but still. It's three times? Okay, well, there you go. Three times. And this sort of brings me to my main question for this episode. Um, 
when Sam goes off on Dean, what does it mean to Sam to say these things? And what does it mean to Dean to hear them? Like, what, what are their respective fears here? So again, the repression is clearly the big issue here. This mm -hmm. essentially is a magnified version of what, of what Sam has been hiding from Dean, the feelings and emotions he's been hiding, which really come down to this disdain for what John did to him mm -hmm. and how John treated them and how, despite the fact that John treated them, as far as I can tell, both pretty shitty, Mm -hmm. Dean somehow still sees him as an infallible object mm -hmm. and Sam can't take that mm -hmm. and then he also sees his father and Dean in the way that Dean gives him orders we get mm -hmm. the very obvious comment earlier that oh is he your boss talking about uh, <laughs> yeah. Dean to Sam Yeah, and it's just it's I think it's less of the taking orders from Dean it's the seeing Dean take orders from John is the issue. You feel that like Sam is most upset about his big brother who he loves basically taking or yeah, being being jerked around by somebody who he feels isn't worth being jerked around for. Mm -hmm. And then in his own way, being jerked around by the brother he looks up to yeah. the same way that his father did and he had to run away from. Him. Wow. So that's his that's his repressed feeling. And what about Dean in this case? I mean, all I can really focus on is just that to hear all those things. And of course, he does the whole, like, I didn't mean any of those things later. Mm -hmm. But to hear those things and, you know, to go to the point of handing him the gun. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't think he expected to get shot in the first place with the, uh, the, the rock salt. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that was a big enough surprise. And then handing him the empty gun just to taunt him trying to essentially edge out how much of his brother was actually present in that moment, mm -hmm. knowing that Sam wouldn't shoot him. Yeah. And then to have him pull the trigger and start to realize, like, how much of this is really what Sam thinks. Yeah, I mean, I think I totally agree with you. So if I can share, like, a personal experience, like, when I was a teenager, I was very present for my little sister, who is also four years younger than me, actually three and a mm -hmm. half years younger than me. So the age gap is exactly the same as Sam and Dean. Um, so for a lot of reasons, I had to be very present. I was the one to, who made sure that she did her homework, um, told her when it was time to go to bed, etc. And one thing that always haunted me or like that always scared me was like, well, one day she's going to turn around and be like, well, you're not my mom. Like, you don't get to make these decisions for me. Like, so I was always afraid that, like, what I was doing for her own good would be rejected and that she then, like, would find herself with, with no one to, to, like, guide her and to take care of her because that's a caretaking role, right? Making sure that the basic needs are, are met. And I think, like, when that happened in the, in the episode... I think that that was Dean's fear, that his little brother was turning around and being like, you know what? I don't care about what you did for me. I resent it, and I hate you so much that I want to kill you. Through this conversation, this reading, and this interpretation that we're making of, of the story, we learn that growing and, you know, the resolution of the episode only happens when 
we're facing our fears, right? In, in, in this case. And not repressing feelings. Like the body of Ellicott has to come out. It has to be burned, you know? Mm-hmm. So things have to be purged in order f- to, um, to fix themselves, right? To be fixed, to, be, to heal. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, the clichés of cliché lines, the first step is admitting you have a problem. The first step is facing your fear. Yeah. The first step is you got to dig it out. You got you to yeah. confront it. You have to you make yourself aware of the... Yeah, you can't solve a problem if you aren't aware the problem's there or you don't want to admit it that it's there. Yeah. And yet, when Sam asks Dean if they need to talk about what happened, what does Dean do? He represses, he represses it. it. Yes. And oh, that is, I think, yeah, exactly. That is my disappointment in Dean in this episode. And I understand why he can't. I completely understand why he can't. Viscerally. <laughs> but I'm still disappointed <laughs> because I wish, I wish that he had been able to say, you know what? Like, you shot me, man. Like, yeah, I'm upset. <laughs> Yeah, like, there's only so much of the, like, you were being, like, controlled by a ghost. Like, there was still that, like, it was amplifying you. It wasn't like it took you over your body and was puppeteering you. There, exactly. There was, it was you on ghost drugs. Yes. Like, you, you were in there. But you were still there. You were there the whole time. Yeah. <gasps> I actually have, like, a little detour, if you'd like to take that detour with me. It's very short. Oh, let's go. Where are we going? Well, uh, <laughs> we are going to Pain Town. <laughs> Okay, I wasn't ready for that. But sure, take me to Pain Town, I guess. In the context, so you and I have been like trying to do a a queer reading of Dean, right? In the past few episodes. And there's something here that came up that I I really couldn't help but notice. Um, So when the ghost of Dr. Ellicott catches his victims, he elicits he electrocutes them and he tells mm-hmm. them that he's going to make them better. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's healing them. And so that happens to Sam, right? And then that's when he gets possessed by Ellicott. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't think too much of it at that moment. But then when Dean gets electrocuted and told that it was to make him better, I, for some reason, like it made me think of like the horrors of conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And, like, how those procedures were done to make, and I'm putting, you know, to make people in very, very large air quote, normal Mm -hmm. again. Knowing again that this episode is about repression, I can't help but think to make that parallel. And it's, it's painful. It's painful. Yeah. But I think it also... If I may try to spin this in a different angle, I think that's also where the strength comes from. You look at the way Sam gets, you know, touched in the temple, a little electrical shock, and he's out like a light. Dean sits there and takes it for, like, a good few seconds, and then still has enough control to grab the lighter and throw it. I think there's that part of him that almost, I don't want to say, like, makes the connection that we're all making, but, like, Someone who is trying to repress that part of them, but knows deep down that's who they really are and has always been told they will be fixed because, unfortunately, in 2005, that was very much the Mm. still something that was being done. And I would not be shocked, as we've theorized in the past, there may be some parts of John that 
don't like that part of Dean. Mm-hmm. I think it's very possible the reason he was able to fight off Ellicott and make the move he did was the anger of, like, not wanting to have that happen to him. So the resilience, basically. The resilience of going, you don't have to fix me. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, like, he has has suffered enough, like, he's been hurt enough that in this moment he was able to withstand more pain than somebody else Mm -hmm. would have been able to. Which anyway, I have a lot of issues with the, our glorification of resilience, but in this case, I absolutely agree that that's that could very well be how that happened. Mm-hmm. So to bring us into critical time, I want to bring up just a little bit of compliment to the show because Ooh. they have done something this episode that I've been asking for. Okay. They hid the creatures from us as much as we saw dr (laughs) ellicott at the very end the other entities we encountered were very subtle they weren't in your face they were Mm -hmm. we got a lot of those like something moving in the background and they turn and it's not there yeah i mean yes we ultimately do see i I think we do see three or four spirits Mm -hmm. but a lot of the scary in this episode is not seeing Yes, absolutely. I mean, I we talked about the repression theme earlier, and I think that it's very present in the visuals as well. Like, they did mm-hmm. such a wonderful job because, you know, you can hear the creepy crawlies. Like, you can hear the creepy stuff. You can feel that it's there, but you never quite see it in its entirety. And that is so true also of, like, any shadow work that you do, right? So when you have a lot of issues you have an idea you know that things are like breathing down your neck like you know that you have issues about this this and that and the other thing but you never really see the full picture until Mm -hmm. you face it and i just i agree with you i love that the show did this visually but they told that they showed us they didn't have to tell us right yeah and it was done elegantly i've always said so i i i jump at horror movies i i don't do a jump scare well i love horror (laughs) movies i find jump scares so cheap but the way I've learned to get around them is I see them coming a mile away mm-hmm. and I will literally count them down. And in this episode, multiple times, they set you up for one and then don't. Mm-hmm. And I found that so much more creepy because I was suddenly unnerved and unsure of myself. It started to play with me psychologically. Yeah. Again, it was small, but it was well done. Yeah. So... I know we're not going to get every single episode with amazing world play like this, but when it's done right, they deserve a compliment. Absolutely. You're so right. Just as a little piece of trivia, this is actually the very first Supernatural episode I ever watched. Really? Yes. It was on TV years ago at one point, and I watched a part of it, and I couldn't finish it because I found it too creepy. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to watch the show. I was like, no, I'm not into like this stuff. It's too creepy. Well, damn. I'm you know what? Good on them for being creepy enough. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to come back to it because well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Are you though? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't regret I I don't regret this completely okay. yet. Don't worry. <laughs> Wait until we get into later seasons. <sighs> oh, I'm ready for it, don't worry. Oh I've been goodness. a fan of enough things like this. <laughs> yes. That's yeah, I, I imagine. We've 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 suffered through enough fandoms together, you and I, and separately. Yeah. 
That's true. This is just one more for the list. <laughs> one thing that I noticed is that when the remains are salted and burned of Dr. Ellicott, mm-hmm. the ghost turns to stone, right? And like it falls and it breaks and it shatters and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But in later episodes, we're actually going to see that ghosts don't usually do that or that's not that like the visual that they go with in future episodes. The ghosts actually go up in flames along with the remains. And so I thought that that was just an interesting little thing to point out that this episode just in terms of lore differs a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, from... Because the Hookman goes up in flames also and they... uh... Again, they're salting and burning yeah. A, yeah. a remnant of him, so maybe the rules are different. But I'd be curious to see how much similarity there is between the Hookman's spirit death and future salt and burns. It, it's actually much closer to what happens in hmm. the future, frankly. But I think you know this is the same idea of of the the spaghetti against the wall, right? Like they're seeing what sticks. And they tried this, and clearly it didn't work. It didn't stick because that's that's just not the route, the visual route that they chose in future episodes. Yeah, and I'm sure again for like lore sake, I'm sure there's reasons why this one was different than another one. I'm sure there's some fan theory or lore, or we could sit here and explain it away somehow. But I think yeah. I think realistically, you're right. It's spaghetti on the wall. It is yeah. a they tried something different. They realized maybe it wasn't the way to go, and they found that they found they find their footing. Mm-hmm. Can we then move a little bit into our guest characters for this uh, episode? Our uh, yes, our uh, cat and Gavin. What was the guy's name? Gavin. <laughs> okay, first talk to me about Gavin because you clearly had a very strong reaction to him. I think it's because they do something here that I really enjoyed. Okay, and it's. Making Gavin so cliche. Okay. <laughs> like, you literally... Gavin is the walking cliche of a horror movie. He is the the boyfriend. He's trying to be macho. Yeah. He thinks it's a fun idea for day. Like, he is every cliche for every stupid boy who ever caused a horror movie to happen by reading the book they shouldn't have read, by opening mm-hmm. the box they shouldn't mm-hmm. have opened, by going into the haunted asylum they shouldn't yeah. have gone into. Yeah. And... Because of this, because they make him such of a, they make him such a loser. They make him such a sniveling snob. Like he is just such a perfect like foil <laughs> that your mind then looks at Cat, who is by first appearance the cliche damsel in distress. She's yeah. blonde, you know. She's wearing a low cut top. She's trying to you know, showing a little cleavage. Like they really paint her as the other character in every other horror movie who's likely going to get murdered super quickly because they're the pretty blonde. And then they make her an interesting character. They show self-preservation. They reveal character traits. She knows how to use a shotgun. She, like, makes the comment to Gavin, like, if we get through this, I'm breaking up with you. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's played for laughs. But legitimately, they take a character and flip it completely kind of like the asylum itself that's full of ghosts yeah. you think they're there to get rid of but actually the ghosts are kind of the good guys in this episode yeah oh i like you're that taking catch. the cliche and flipping it on its head Ooh, it's you know it's so interesting because supernatural can be so effective at doing that so it was actually brought up by one of the writers for the show on an interview i listened to and she said one of the things they do that she really enjoyed and she liked doing for storytelling was flipping tropes. Mm-hmm. The example she gave, and I'm sure we'll get to eventually, and we've, I've seen it in other shows too, was the, you know, a girl running through the woods, 
you know, they cut it to look like she's being chased by someone, like, you know, a big scary guy, and then eventually he catches her and whoops, she's the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Like you just you you set up the very cliche thing and then you flip it. You yeah. have an asylum full of ghosts. They're trying to help by getting rid of a more evil ghost. You have the dorky kid who does the stupid thing like in every horror movie and his bimbo girlfriend. No, she's actually a badass, knows how to handle herself, and is clearly a better character than I think almost any other single character we've got this series so far. I totally agree, Drew. I loved Kat. Uh, yeah, when... she was just good. Yes. She was a good female character. Exactly. I know she... I know. we started last week with Missouri, but like we're really getting good women. I know. I mean, I loved... What I loved particularly is that she wasn't trying to be any sort of thing but herself. She really, mm-hmm. you know, when she, when they went in and she was scared, she said that she was scared. When, you know, they were like, oh, you can leave, like, we'll take you out of the, the asylum, like, we'll go get your boyfriend. She's like, no, I want to find him because he's in danger. And that mm-hmm. was, again, staying very true to herself. And then when... They ask her, like, if it, when they ask the two of them if, if they can handle a gun, she's like, yeah, I can do it. And she's not trying to seem badass or to seem anything. She's just like, yeah, my dad taught me, period. And I have to say that that is just so refreshing because oftentimes mm-hmm. women, especially in that time, whenever they were portrayed as, you know, quote unquote, badass, there was always like this trying to be and like purposely making sure that everybody knew but Kat is just herself and that is super cool and I love it and I love the fact that Gavin did not know she knew how to handle a gun despite the fact they've been dating for what seems like a little while like it seems they're this isn't like a first date they've been dating for a while it Mm -hmm. looks like maybe yeah didn't know this about her which kind of feels like maybe she was hiding things about herself that, you know, aren't classical and girly. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. We, like, are digging into cats. My goodness. I like this. Like, I legitimately believe she is the kind of person who, like, her and Gavin are still together now, hunting demons and ghosts. Oh. oh. And Gavin still hates that they do it. And she's like, <laughs> freaking, like, grow some balls. Let's go do this. That's so sweet. Oh my goodness. So they've been baptized into the hunter the hunting yep. world. That is the if there's ever a supernatural second series, that's the characters I want to follow. I want to see them like Aww. 15 years later. Aww. Where are they now? Aww. I want them. <laughs> I love that. This week we have a tweet to share with you from Twitter user Destiel OTP. Just to kind of situate you, she sent us this tweet after listening to our interpretation of Hookman which is episode seven. And this is what she wrote. Quoting here. I enjoy this episode so much, but I feel like you guys didn't talk about this scene enough. At this point, she then shares a clip of the episode, specifically Dean pointing out that Sam had missed a spot while painting the frat boy purple. I don't know if it's considered a proof of anything or how old is that kid. And it's appropriate for Dean to be checking him out, but it definitely wasn't necessary. And they added it on purpose. Could be just for laughs, but Dean is based on a bi character. End quote. So first of all, thank you so much for even just listening to our show and even more for reaching out to us and telling us that you like it. And a step further for even interacting with us and telling us that we missed something. We we quite literally missed a spot. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. 
How did I not think of that first? I'm, <laughs> I'm very surprised that you didn't make that joke. But anyway, I I did it. Um, you know, I, I know that we responded on Twitter a little bit. And so I'm just going to reiterate a couple of things. So first off, I do think that the intent of the line was to make fun of Sam, right? Because he's the one painting this boy purple. So I really think that that was the intent of the line. Now, intent versus impact doesn't always match up. And in this case, like mm-hmm. the impact definitely is something that we should be discussing. Uh, like you mentioned, this boy is in university, f- in a fraternity, so it's likely that he's over 18. But still, Dean is 26. And I, I had been wondering, you know, why I felt that this was not so big a problem until I switched the genders and was like, but what if this boy had been a a girl? Like, would Mm -hmm. I have felt the same way? And so, so if I imagine this scene with a girl and Dean was like, you missed a spot right there. Like it definitely would have made me feel uncomfortable. Um, So in terms of, your question about whether or not it's appropriate or creepy, you know, definitely, definitely in those, in that area. And then whether it's a proof of anything, I'm not entirely sure, but it's definitely something to keep in mind because in order for him to say that, you know, he missed a spot, he had, he had to be, have been looking. And then I'm so glad that you're bringing up that he is based off of a bi character. And we are definitely going to be talking about this very shortly, actually, in Faith. Yes, I'm making a promise. We're going to be talking about Ooh. that. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for your tweet for reaching out to us. I really appreciate it. I, too, just want to say right off the bat, thank you. I love not just hearing from people who listen to the show, but interacting, like you said. It's really just an opportunity to open a dialogue and discuss things. And like you said, pointing out things that we didn't either get to or think to talk about and it did lead us to actually chat for a while about it because we were trying to figure out where did it fit in? Is it something that we really had to go back and edit or talk about? And I mean, here we are. (laughs) And yeah, definitely. I I think there's that creepy factor of it a little bit. If you think of the age difference, at least we're all on a legal level, which is a good start. I mean, it's the bare minimum. I mean, Uh, yes, barely, but still. It's what I mean is that it's, you know, the bar is very low if we're talking about legal requirements, right? So just to keep in mind for the I'm discussion. Yeah, exactly. Yes, okay, it's, great, 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 great. Yeah, that's, that's, so the, the point I'm making essentially is it's at least it's on the level, mm-hmm. albeit as close to the line as you can get. Mm. But it does raise some points. As much as I still kind of go back and forth on what it says about Dean, you, uh, Mary, you make a good point though. It's, you have to be looking. I mean, there's clearly a mirror in the room. He is likely making eye contact with the person he's speaking to. So to kind of be staring at his lower back instead, where clearly Sam isn't if he's missing the spot, mm-hmm. does kind of say something. I I still kind of read the scene more as the let's just poke fun at Sam having to do something silly. Mm. But at the end of the day, I don't want to rule this out as a little bit of queer coding on Dean. That's fair. And again, thank you so much for bringing it to our attention. I am so happy we got to have this small dialogue both on Twitter when we spoke uh, back and forth a bit and again here on the show thanks to you. And I just want this to be an open door for anyone else listening. If you have 
similar thoughts and maybe you thought it wasn't as big a deal or it didn't hit you right away or it's a few episodes ago, we're happy to bring it up. We're happy to talk about it and we're happy to interact. Very much so. Just as a point of information, I'm the one handling the uh, the social media and it always, always, always warms my heart whenever we have a reply or a quote or, or a QT or something like that. I, I love it. <laughs> And I love seeing when you share them with me so I know that they're happening yes, because exactly. it makes me so happy. Good. Drew, this week, would you like to share your Crossroads deal first? I would. And for once, I am so ready for this. <gasps> and it is such an easy one. I would have liked Kat and, unfortunately, Gavin to be a little more involved than just waiting around towards the end. Oh, okay. Okay. What would you have given up then? So... Let me go a bit more detail, then explain what I'm giving up okay. and it'll make more sense. Okay, okay. I think I would have liked to have had the two of them down in the basement up until the finale. I think having them there could have allowed for some more interesting world building and confrontation could have made this final encounter feel a little more heavy in some senses. Maybe it could have started with just the Sam and Dean, so we still got that emotional impact. But I would have liked to have had them there and maybe had found ways of using them as allegories to do more of the storytelling about the brothers, about emotional repression, about speaking your truth. Mm -hmm. And I think what I would have given up would have been how much time we focused on that interaction between Sam and Dean. I think that entire area could have been cut down a bit. And though we would lose some of the development between the two of them. I think it would have gone a longer way in the show don't tell mm. if we could have then used them as allegories for the two of them, seeing themselves in them. It could have done a little more of the showing and left more mystery for later. So I would give up a relatively decent amount of the very blunt information we are handed in the mm. Sam and Dean interactions okay. in the end in favor of bringing other characters albeit one one-off characters as far as i know and i'm willing to believe yeah but using them to kind of fill in those same roles and be a little more allegorical hmm. i like that i i would have been very happy to see especially more cat in this episode mm -hmm. i will say though that because they're a, a, like a, a straight couple i don't think that they belonged in the repressed area that's and that's all like just my reading of and that like I said, right, that's my reading of the episode. And I think that's why they were kept outside of it. Right. Understandable. I, I think that, again, good writing and good storytelling can always get around that mm. because even a couple that seems like everything's fine on paper and are just a classic straight couple doesn't mean they're still hiding things from themselves, from each other. Maybe not their sexuality, maybe not their relationship, mm -hmm. but people still live. Yeah, just like you pointed out with the shotgun, right? Kat hadn't told him that she knew how mm -hmm. to handle a shotgun. And so I, I absolutely agree with you on that, definitely. And I think had we, again, the dream scenario, you write it in that, you know, they decide they can't wait any longer and they're going to come down there and check on them and they show up and they get involved in the fight and then... I mean, hell, give Gavin a meaning finally and have him do something out of character and be a little heroic, even if it is just to get the girl. I love how I much know, you dislike him. It makes my heart sore. 
It's like, I love and hate cliches so much, and he is just such a cliche. Give him a defining moment at the end of this. Give him a redeeming moment mm. and reveal something about him. Make something known that we wouldn't have otherwise known about him mm-hmm. that makes this so much more difficult for him or yeah. you know ties him to the asylum in some sense. I think a lot could have been done with him. Mm-hmm. Which would have redeemed him a bit. Okay. But again, that's obviously the price you pay. Is you take this character yeah. that was kind of written off as like a as a dweeb, giving him too much meaning, I think also takes away from the show as well. Yeah, I mean, like, there's you no... You need him to be the cat's foil, Yeah, there's no perfect crossroads deal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've learned that By already. By definition of a crossroads exactly. deal. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? I wish that Dean had not repressed his feelings in the end. I wish that he had told Sam, you know, like... When Sam said, do we need to talk about this? I wish that he had said, like, Sam, you, you shot me. You pulled the trigger on me multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm totally offended by what happened. And I understand that you were under the influence of this ghost, but that rage, that was still you, right? So, yeah, so that's what I wish had happened. What would I give up? I would give up the cliffhanger of John calling them at the end because, right, like that's the, around the time that it happened. So I would have given that up in order to be able to have a bit more time in that scene. Even though I think that the fact that the boys finally like find their dad right after they found Dr. Ellicott is actually a part of the allegory that I was talking about earlier. Oh, damn. I didn't even think of that. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, I, I, I agree with you. I think if you are going to give something up, it makes sense. It's it's a fun cliffhanger. It really leaves you like, I'm, I can't wait to watch the next episode now. Like, I really want to see what that call is. Although, there's that part of me that thinks it's going to be a bait and switch. And yeah, it'll be John, but it'll be like, what, two words, here's an address, and then he'll hang up on him or something stupid. <laughs> oh, I'm right, aren't I? Any hoozle. <laughs> I, I think I would have liked to have seen them have it out a bit. And then even maybe end the episode on bad terms, I think would have just been a better character development. It would have given us a little more meat texture. Yeah, exactly. Because right now, like the fact that the only confrontation truly that they've had about this is when Sam was under like evil spirits influence, right? They haven't actually had a chance to really duke it out. You know, they haven't had a chance to fight it out or anything. They've they've just sort of like pushed down their frustra- their mm-hmm. respective frustrations. And that's just the perfect recipe for something to blow up later. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, as you're saying it, I'm imagining how many times up till now? We're on episode nine? Mm-hmm. Ten? Ten. We are at our first double digit episode. We're on episode ten. And I feel like this is clearly not the first time coming to mind are the shapeshifter i feel like i'm missing another one but we've just had chunks of basically here are my repressed emotions other Mm. brother deal with them and then just no dealing with them it just immediately gets oh we're not going to talk about that but they have both been spouting off whether it be through a spirit taking control of them or something posing as them and stealing their memories or Mm-hmm. I can't remember all the times we've done this, but there's just been constant supernatural reasons for them to expunge this information at each other. 
and nothing has been talked about yet. Yes, exactly. And that's the part that really upsets me. Like, I am expecting any episode now, one of them just to legitimately, without any supernatural interference, just take a swing at the other one square in the jaw. And on these wise words, uh, listeners, (laughs) we will see you next week for episode 11, Scarecrow. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman, and myself, Marie Vigourou. This week, we'd like to thank Twitter user Destiel OTP for her tweet. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com or mention us on Twitter or Instagram using at carryingwayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Leave us a review on whatever platform you choose. It honestly really helps us out. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends.